Assalamualaikum. Welcome back to another episode of Finding the Balance. And today I'm here with my sister Samina. Assalamualaikum, sis. Oh, Waalaikum salam, sis. Ew, why are we being cringe? <laughs> we do not talk like this with each other. She doesn't actually normally call me Samina. She calls me Borafa. I didn't call you. You should have introduced me as Borafa. I didn't say Samina. You did say Samina. Did I? Yeah. Oh. Hello, and welcome to Finding the Balance. This is my Borafa. <laughs> <laughs> and this is my Sutaboyn. <laughs> so if you guys don't know, Bora Afa means big sister. How have you been? Been good. How have you been? Been alright. Been alright, me? You're doing that Welsh thing. Ever since I've been to Cardiff, I literally just speak in these Welsh accents for bands and now it's becoming my normal. If you guys don't already know, me and my sister are actually both within health, the healthcare field in our work or job roles. I'm a student nurse at the moment and Borafa, what about you? So um, yeah, I'm a qualified paramedic. So yeah, I graduated last year. So we're just gonna be talking about our experiences as students and then for my sister as she's qualified and her job role and also just how we got here and why we chose these jobs. So, Borafa, how has your work been so far? You've been working through COVID. So obviously, um, when COVID first started, it was quite crazy. We were going to a lot of things that people wouldn't normally call the ambulance for, so coughs and things like that. Mm. And we were going out to it because a lot of people would say they were short of breath, mm. um, even if they weren't, because I feel like a lot of people don't really understand what that means to be short of breath. And that was for a few well the first couple of weeks it was definitely like every job we'd go to was suspected covid suspected covid suspected covid and during that period of time we had a lot of changes you know ppe for example like we ha- we've always had it but we've never needed to wear it to this extent and obviously having it mandated where we've got to wear a certain level of ppe and then certain jobs you have to wear a higher level of ppe so it was a really weird working environment at the start a lot of different things to get used to um but then after like the first couple of weeks it kind of quietened down a bit, mm. which was really weird because, well, for the ambulance service anyway, normally we're high demand, but actually we were having a lot of standby, a lot of time where we were just on base, mm-hmm. able mm. to relax and talk, which we never, ever have. So it was really odd. And that lasted for, you know, a few weeks. Now, with COVID kind of, you know, it's settling back. down yeah. a little bit, with the lockdown and stuff settling down, we're creeping back with the busyness now. Uh, you know, we're going to a lot more jobs. We're having late finishes, late meal breaks, which is basically what we were having before. So it's kind of back to normality almost, except, you know, the PPE side of things, we're still having to deal with all of that. What about you? So as you already know, I was sort of asked to come out and work during COVID as well Mm -hmm. as a student nurse, getting um, band three payment. And oh my goodness, that payment became such a condition Mm -hmm. and in the way we were treated by staff and everything and it was so strange to experience that change in attitude towards me mm-hmm. um when i f- went on to my first four week uh, placement so, so as a student i've been moved around quite a bit so for the first four weeks i was on a and e and um the assessment unit and just it's so weird it's like i was an alien to them in a way i just sort of felt a bit invisible and it was really difficult to sort of get my flow of work going as well because they would kind of be like we don't know what to do with you because you're getting paid and I, mm. in my head I was just like 
why does that pay have anything to do with how I'm still treated and yeah. how I'm given work to do? Yeah. They were like, oh, but there's these limits and we've got these boundaries and we don't know what you're allowed to do and what you're not allowed to do. And I was like, I'm a student nurse and I'm allowed to do everything I have done before, mm-hmm. except if you need me to do something that's defined within the healthcare assistant role, I can also do that. Yeah, yeah. But this is also meant to be a learning experience for me. And that was the initial problem, I guess, with us students going out, is that uni was expecting this to be a learning experience, but also to help. But how does that work when this condition of pay being given to us made us sort of be treated differently? It was mad. I'd never thought that it would be like that. Mm. But because of this pay being given to us, they were like, okay, we can use them however we want, or I wasn't even utilised enough. So yeah, this condition of pay was very strange because obviously I've done placements before, I'm Mm -hmm. not paid and I do a lot of patient work and everything. So I think that definitely had an effect. We've had some students come out with us, but what's happened is they've usually been third year students that are recommended, no paramedics, obviously. They're usually students who are third year, so in their final year and, you know, they have like assessments and things to determine whether they're capable of coming out because they are actually allowed to go out by themselves like we do with a a care assistant like Mm. you guys which obviously means they're the they'll be the clinician in that in that situation they'll have the responsibility and yeah they've come out the only thing they can't do is the driving because you normally have to do four weeks of blue light driver training yeah but everything else they can do and actually there hasn't been like a difference in how they're being treated like initially they had to go out with a higher qualified paramedic for like the first seven days or something which we all have to do and then after that they're just going out like we normally did except the, the only difference is they're on a temporary register mm. with the hcpc oh yeah with us as well <clears throat> we're on like a temporary contract yeah. with the health board and then basically once covid is over obviously they've already had the work experience they've already come out and worked so the only thing that will change is they'll go into the permanent register but to be fair with our students it's kind of been like not like what you've had where you've been like oh what can i do what can i mm-hmm. not do and with our students it's kind of been like oh you know off you go just do it as you normally would Mm, that's good because I feel like the problem within where I was the hospitals the way they work and stuff sometimes there's a, a well maybe it was just where I was there was just a bit of lack of communication which then made me not have the right experience I feel mm-hmm. or like not the best experience that yeah. I should have had whether you're getting paid or not you know, it's not like you're getting paid millions of pounds. Band three isn't exactly a hell of a lot of money mm. for what you're having to do because you're still doing what nurses have to do as well as doing what HCAs have to do. So yeah, and it was just... I don't really understand why they would do that. Mm. It wasn't nice. I was literally seen as the student who's getting paid now. Yeah, that's not fair. The thing is, you guys should be getting paid in the first place. Just like when I did placements, we should have been getting paid mm. because it's free labour. That's all it is. It's just the NHS and the ambulance services and the hospitals saving money by getting... It's the government. It's through just saying, oh, this is a learning experience. Well, actually, learning experiences don't pay the bills because some people have got kids whilst they're studying. Mm, yeah. And even, like, for me as a student, okay, let's go... First year, okay, maybe not. Second year, a bit. But third year, you basically are doing everything when you're mm. working with someone because you're in your final final year. Everyone's like, okay, this is your final learning experience without the responsibility. Do everything. Mm. And that's kind of unfair because you're doing everything whilst they don't have to because you're there. Yeah. But you're not getting paid. You're still doing the rubbish hours. You're still commuting. Like, I had to commute a lot. Nobody's paying my petrol money, honey. And the problem with that is as well is that when you're doing these placements... Um, you're not able to get a full-time job because that's that's 
can't. Yeah, You're already definitely. doing a full-time job. So how can you get another full-time job or a part-time job on top of that? It <clears> makes <throat> it very difficult. Also because hospital hours are so strange. Mm-hmm. If you've got a night shift, you can't then have like a week. If you've got a night shift on a Friday, you can't have a weekend Saturday morning job, can you? No, no, so exactly. So make it like, how does that work? I mean, I personally worked part time whilst I was on placement. But how difficult? But it was difficult. Was but I managed it. But that's just because that's the kind that's of person good. that I am. That I just yeah. kind of just get on with it. Yeah, no, I wrote that. That's <clears> really good. That's and plus, I, w- I needed the extra cash in hand because, well, c- with with commuting. It was just so difficult. I needed the petrol money. And even with the maximum maintenance loan, it just does not cover your commuting costs. Like, the petrol costs are just insane. And also, when you're doing, like, theory hours and not on placement, you're in Monday to Friday, mm-hmm. 9 to 5. Apart from on Wednesday, you have, like, a shorter day because that's just a uni thing. But it's so <clears throat> unpredictable and, again, makes it difficult to get a job because a couple of weeks later, you might be starting placements mm. and you don't know your shifts. So it's That's like, so true. you can't have a permanent job. Because you just can't, yeah. So I worked for 111 for a year when I was in my last year mm. as a student paramedic. And that was a really great experience because it gave me, obviously 999 and 111, we work in conjunction with each other um, sometimes. And it was really good for me to know the background of how 111 work. But it was just so difficult. And luckily they were really flexible with me because um, I only I, and I ended up lessening my contractual hours as well at, at one point because I had so much placement I just could not maintain it mm. I was only doing 15 hours on my original contract and I literally had to ask them to reduce it to 10 which they never ever do but they did it for me because yeah. I applied for it That's but even good. that was so hard I was basically only doing five hours all I needed to do was two five hour shifts and I literally struggled because the schedule is just so chaotic mm. with placements that's really good that they were flexible with you and you don't know if your workplace is going yeah, to be flexible yeah, or not. Exactly. And so you're then going and applying for jobs blindsided, knowing not knowing whether this company is actually going to be fair, if they're going to be understanding or not. Yeah, no, I know. I know. So what made you initially choose to be a paramedic? And do you know what? This is kind of, I feel like I know the answer, but I want to know what you would say about it. So I've always wanted to do something medical. And being the cliche, obviously, I wanted to do medicine. medicine. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then, um, so basically, <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, I did when I did my first year of A levels. I didn't get the results that I wanted at that time, and so it kind of led me onto a different path. And do you know what? This is why I always say that sometimes your failings are actually your biggest blessings. Alhamdulillah. Allahu Akbar. Basically, my failing in that year was my biggest blessing because it opened my eyes to so much more and it made me realise there's so many other things that I can do within this field and I don't have to study for five years to become a doctor when I can do something else that I really enjoy, which is still within the realm of healthcare. And so that's what kind of led me. Initially, I looked at midwifery, but I, it wasn't really my thing. I remember that. I, and mum always tried to push me to then do midwifery. Yeah, but do you know what? It's it, it's one of those jobs where it's either for you or it's not. Mm-hmm. And I, to be fair, I've never looked into it. Well, it's a very specific type of job. And then I looked into nursing and I just thought that's not really my cup of tea either, which is when I looked into the paramedic stuff. Because I, I always thought if I did do medicine and I worked as a doctor, I'd want to work in the A&E type of environment. Yeah. And so for me, it just made sense to do paramedic science because it's the emergency medicine that I've always wanted to do anyway in the first place. Mm. So it was just the ideal for me. And I literally only found the course like a year before I applied for it. So it was literally just stumbled upon it and just thought, oh my God, that's so me. I literally stumbled upon like 
the nursing degree quite last minute and everyone always asks like oh have you been wanting to be a nurse for years I was like no it just came to me one day and I don't even mm. fully remember how that's kind of wild like how stuff just kind of comes your way and you just it just happens and it just somehow works out it doesn't mean that it was easy though hell no it was not easy being a freaking student paramedic yeah it's all the will of Allah though that sometimes Allah just brings something to you without you even realizing yeah it's really amazing so can you just describe what your job really involves as a paramedic you are a clinician of your own so you're an autonomous clinician which means that you make your own decisions on the most part so you don't have to like report back to anyone higher in your day-to-day practice you kind of just do what you need to do in the situation unless it's like a situation where you're leaving somebody at home because they don't need to go to hospital then you can kind of refer them back to the gp or just kind of run it past the gp to to make sure that you're not missing anything just as like a second opinion so you're your own manager in that sense yeah in that sense obviously we have our own policies protocols and we have our own guidelines and things that we follow but it's your responsibility to implement them we go to like a wide variety i mean a lot of people a lot of paramedics say like we're the jack of all trades kind of clinician on the most part we can go to anything because obviously people can call the ambulance for anything from a cough like i said earlier to has someone having a cardiac arrest or someone who's having a seizure to you know like the standard urgent care type thing like you know wounds car crashes like road traffic collisions and things so it's really varied i mean on the most part we go to generally similar things so things that are more common like chest pain for example we go to a lot of chest pains we go to like breathing issues things that are less common like respiratory yeah like respiratory things cardiac slash non-cardiac chest pain trauma so like people who've fallen injured themselves lower back pain those are more the common types of things that we go to but obviously primarily our job role is more supposed to be emergency but over the years the ambulance service has changed and people use us for more things that they really shouldn't use us for unfortunately but that's just the way the job goes because the public don't have enough education on what the ambulance service is supposed to be for so they use us for anything Mm -hmm. from grazed knees literally grazed knees believe it or not to snotty noses like that's how crazy that's how minute and menial some of the things are that we go to which is really frustrating because you think that you're a highly qualified clinician with a degree to go to someone who's got a grazed knee it's it can be frustrating when you go to stuff like that all the time but yeah on on pen and paper we're supposed to be emergency and sometimes urgent care um obviously ambulance service cardiac arrests and things like that not that we often go to cardiac arrests. I've been to a few recently, more than normal. You know. You've done recess. Yeah, so like CPR and stuff. Went to one the other day. Um, it really hard during COVID because we have to put, put Tyvek suits on. So our level three PPE is a Tyvek suit. And then we have to wear gloves, visors. Um, and we have to like sellotape our gloves down so nothing can get in between the in between our sleeves and stuff. And I kid you not, me and my colleague were doing CPR on this patient. And we were dripping with sweat because I had my mask on as well, obviously. I could feel the sweat dripping off my nose into my mouth. It was disgusting. And I genuinely thought I'm going to get heat exhaustion any second now. Yeah, and do you know what? You don't know how hard it is to do a resuscitation until you do it. Trust me, I've done it in my training and that in itself was difficult. It requires a lot of strength and you just, you're meant to keep going for as long as you need to. And it's, it's, it is difficult. Yeah, and so imagine doing that on like a real person. It's not very nice. I mean, it's not a dignified process. Basically, one of our team leaders, which is like our manager, has to doff us, which means taking off our PPE. 
for it to be safe. So then we have to go through a process of taking off our level three PPE um, in a specific order for it to be clinically safe. And then we have to wipe certain pieces of equipment. And And it's just so long. Obviously in a normal arrest situation, a normal cardiac arrest before COVID, it's hard enough anyway, but you don't have all the gear on. But with the gear, it's so hot. Yeah. (laughs) And I think if anyone can take anything from this is in a cardiac arrest situation, if someone's got no pulse, they're not breathing, chest compressions, chest compressions, chest compressions until somebody else arrives. I don't think people actually comprehend how life-saving that is. When I first started as a qualified paramedic, I went to two arrests in my first two weeks and I was like, this is just my luck to go to these complicated jobs just as soon as I've qualified. Both people had um, bypassed the CPR, which means someone who started CPR straight away both people we got background so wow. it really makes a huge difference to survival rates but we mm. also have the worst survival rate for cardiac arrests mm. i think in europe but it's because people don't do people don't do oh. cpr People don't do bystander CPR. You just never know when you'll need it. And even if you don't ever use it in your life, at least you know. Mm-hmm. But what about you? What's your what, what kind of things do you do within your role as a paediatric nurse? So the thing is, I haven't got explicitly outlined and it's very different depending on what ward you're on. Mm-hmm. And as a student, I've been placed on so many different wards. So I've, I've had a very different experience each time. Like, for example, CAMS, which is Children and Mental Health, is very, very different to working with children who have learning disabilities, global developmental delay, scoliosis, that sort of thing. It's really, really different. And then that in itself is completely different to working with babies. Mm-hmm. And then it's even more different when you work with older children. Like teenagers and stuff. Yeah. So it's all super varied. And my personal experience so far has been much more towards working with babies just because of the placements I've had, and also working with children who have learning disabilities, global developmental delay. Mm -hmm. So that in itself requires really, really strong communication skills. You know, in my first year, I found it the hardest thing to initially, like in my first couple weeks of placement, to communicate with these children who were nonverbal, who had severe developmental delay, but you still need to treat them just like you would any other child. Mm-hmm. Um, so communication is absolutely vital. Um, but in terms of their medical cares, injections, medications, just organising their care and taking care of them when their parents are not there. Mm-hmm. Um, those fundamentals that are kind of belittled a lot, changing them, feeding them, mm-hmm. that's so important because... How parents... will they live if they don't have that? Exactly. <laughs> And also the different ways that they're fed. Sometimes uh, a child just isn't fed orally. So they have like peg. They'll have peg feeds, they'll Mm. have a gastrostomy, they'll have an NG tube. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's just sorting all And even looking after those is like, Mm. you know, a different... That's a skill in itself is if they have a blockage in their NG tube, you know, you've got to deal with that. Mm. Everything has its own... Every type of way that they're fed and all of this stuff, even if they have like colostomy bags, stoma bags and things like that, all of that needs its own individual care as well. So yeah, it's a lot. Yeah, colostomies, stoma bags. I, I had a couple of patients who've had stomas um, and it was like just cleaning those things, making sure that their wounds, um, like you have to check the wound every time of the stoma mm-hmm. to make sure it's healthy, that it's not getting infected. And the thing is, do you know what I really feel like happens with like nursing care? Because things haven't deteriorated or because things are improving or going well, those roles and fundamentals that we kind of do 
are sort of just not seen as important. But then without those things, that child wouldn't. Yeah, be able if you to don't progress. clean a wound, they're going to get an infection. And that could you lead know? to sepsis. Yeah, exactly. So. And I think that's what people forget as well. I mean, even with us, I mean, most most care. If you're doing on the on the ground, front line, on the you know grassroots care where you're there and you're doing the care yourself, um, it's it's all rooted ba- really in basic from originally from basic nursing care. Mm. For example, you know all the things that we do and the fundamentals of our ABCDs that we look after are all basic nursing. You have a a, a person who's got low blood pressure. Your basic. They don't like ner- to use the word basic anymore. They use fundamental. But your fundamental <laughs> slash aka basic, your basic care, your basic thing is to, you know, um, raise their legs. If someone's saturations are low, first thing you do is sit them up. Mm, but people pressure. people forget things like that, and that that those are the fundamentals of not just nursing, but even the paramedic care. Those are the fundamental things that make a difference. It's very important to not forget the foundations of what you do. Mm-hmm. I think that's so important mm-hmm. because sometimes you start getting all this knowledge and you start being like, oh, I can do this and this and this And now. you get like, well, they call it red mist in the ambulance service where you get a bit, you get so focused on one thing that you're almost forgetting everything else around you. Yeah. Even when we, when I was a student, it was always like, if you're really struggling with the job, go back to the basics, go back to your ABCs. Yeah. Do Never your forget airway. where you came from. Literally. Never forget where you came from, guys. And do your airway, do your breathing, do your circulation, <laughs> then think about... And unless you've corrected all of those things, airway, breathing, circulation, I mean, really, there's nowhere else to go. 100. You've got to sort those out first before yeah. you move on to, you know, trying to do something else. Before you try and do some high skill level... That's the problem, as <laughs> generally people try to jump ahead because they don't see how vital these fundamentals are and they yeah. just sort of like try to jump the gun and be like oh no i want to do the quote unquote cooler fancier looking um aspects of care you know yeah the sexy stuff is what we call it the sexy <laughs> aspects of care but again it, it's, it's it's why we always have a stepwise approach to things mm. even whether it's airway so go for an opa then go to an eye gel you know if you go straight for an eye gel You've what got does no. OPA stand for? So, just so OPA knows. or an NPA. So, an OPA is an oropharyngeal airway, and an NPA is a nasopharyngeal airway. And they're your most basic airway adjunctions that you use, that you start off with. Yeah. And then you go up to an eye gel, and then the, the highest skill one is an intubation. Now, the intubation looks sexy. It's a sexy thing to do, you know? Mm. But actually, one, we're not very encouraged to do it. And two, there's no need for it you don't need to go you're jumping from zero to a hundred and even with pain relief so we can give iv morphine so we can give morphine into the vein we can give paracetamol into the vein but actually you've got to look at your patient and think hmm do they really need a cannula no they don't i'm going to start off with paracetamol normal basic paracetamol normal basic ibuprofen and codeine but the basics is is what will save a life Uh that's a fundamental that's we're using the word fundamental a lot but that's fundamentally why it's fundamental. <laughs> it's because it's fundamentally going to fundamentally, fundamental, save a fundamental life. <laughs> well, so, yeah. fundamental. We should just call this one fundamental. <laughs> but yeah, it is true. But um, yeah, I mean, we have very different roles, but at the same think, time, the fundamentals you know, are the same. Yeah, do you know what I feel like the main difference is between paramedic and nursing? Um, or maybe nursing from any other sort of aspect is how much, uh, especially being like a, a band five nurse where mm-hmm. you are on the ward, you're with the patients mm-hmm. constantly. 
um, on every shift that you attend. Mm-hmm. It's that that patient interaction, patient care, interact for me is interacting with families, interacting with that child, making sure that their needs are met, making sure that the child itself is advocated for in the um, MDT meeting, multidisciplinary team meetings. I feel like the biggest aspect of a nurse's role is being a patient advocate. You're that voice for that child, especially if they are nonverbal, especially mm-hmm. you you have to have at the center of your care the best interest of the child mm-hmm. and them at the center. Because sometimes even parents can sometimes just make it about themselves. Mm-hmm. But what is really and truly best for the child and that is the biggest component of being, for me, a pediatric nurse, is making sure that that child's best interest and their health is at the core. Because mm-hmm. it's very, very easy for it to become political when we have these team meetings to discuss a child's care. Mm-hmm. Oh, this doctor thinks they're right. Oh, no, this nurse thinks they're right. Oh, no, sorry, this parent wants this because they just don't want their child to... They, they do it for themselves to feel better about their child. Mm-hmm. And that's where you sort of need to scrap this whole political view of these meetings. And you really have to ask yourself... What is the best care for this child? How can I help this child? How can I help this child feel better and ease their pain? Yeah. And I mean, for us as well, mm-hmm. I feel like it's the same. I mean, yes, we have band six. Well, I'm, you know, you start off at band five, you go up to band six, but that's solely because you have a level of clinical responsibility, which is the main thing that I guess, unless you're a higher level of a nurse, when you're talking kind of ward nurse, you don't have the clinical responsibility. Although you have the responsibility for the patient, you're not making the decisions. So that's the only reason we get paid band six. But on the front line as a paramedic, you li- you really are the- exactly the same. You're advocating for the patient. Nobody else wants to listen to you. I've been to so many patients recently who are high risk of COVID and there's other healthcare professionals telling me that I need to take them into hospital. And I will sit there and I'll say no because they don't need to go in. There is no reason for them to go in. And Who tells them to go in? Well, okay, so sometimes it will be a GP who oh, hasn't yeah. even assessed them. Mm. And I've spoken to them on the phone and has just decided that they need an ambulance to take them into hospital. We get there and we find out that actually this is an ongoing problem which needs to be referred back to the GP. Mm. We leave them at home. I've had nurses tell me that patients need to go in and I will sit there and I will say no. Mm. Okay, it's a bit different. It's slightly different with the doctor just because, you know, in the hierarchical system, they're a little bit higher than us. However, even then, I will disagree with the GP's decision if I need to. Yeah. I've been to a patient recently who's immunocompromised um, and he's on palliative care and, you know, he just needs some pain relief. And for some reason or another, something's happened. There's been some Chinese whispers and we've gotten to the conclusion that this patient needs to go to hospital. And I'm being told that they need to go in and I go in and I, and I assess them and I and I think, no, they don't. And the GP will disagree with me. And I, I this is literally just recently. So you're saying no because of like COVID, right? Well, I'm saying no because one, they don't need to go in because the issue isn't isn't acute, mm. and two, they don't need to go in because if we take them in, we're going to go into A and E, and again, there'll be high risk of COVID. Whereas at this moment in time, there's nothing that needs to be assessed as of right now. Yeah, I think the difference with us is that we advocate for the patients as we see, we literally interact with them, we literally see their cares, we do their cares, we know what they need in that sense whereas you kind of have to do it without having seen that patient or yeah which is patient. why we we go we go on the acute which is why the ambulance is there because we deal with acute mm. cases mm-hmm. that's what we're supposed to be there for and i was speaking to this gp and i was saying you know this patient doesn't need to go in i've done this assessment this assessment this assessment there's no red flags i'm happy for them to stay at home and the doctor's disagreeing with me and saying well now i'm the fourth person involved in this patient's care so 
and other people have assessed him. And I was like, hold on a minute. Nobody else is coming out and assessing these patients. We are. The paramedics are coming out and assessing these patients. You guys are sat in your offices in the doctor's surgeries, speaking to patients on the phone. You've not seen them. You've not looked at them. You've not done their assessments. And and then eventually we come to a conclusion that actually, no, the patient doesn't need to go in. So we advocate for the patients a lot. We've been in really difficult situations with COVID recently, especially with older patients mm. who are coming to end of life. And we there has been situations where there has been there have been nurses who have been real brick walls trying to prevent us from doing what's right for the patient. But actually they want us to take the patient to hospital, but no, the patient shouldn't go to hospital because bearing in mind with COVID, if this patient dies, their family can't even see them. So we're just trying to encourage people to take control of the end of their life and stay at home and be with their families. And because eventually the inevitable is going to happen anyway. It's about making the patient comfortable at the end of their life. And we're giving them the power. Nobody we're we're liberating them. Nobody wants to be at hospital. At exactly. We're trying to liberate our patients and empower them. But sometimes we come across a lot of brick walls that prevent us from doing that. And so, yeah, I definitely think paramedics are huge advocates for people's healthcare, considering especially even more so that we don't deal with them. We don't see them. We don't know their lives. We don't deal with them every day. We see them for a snippet of a moment of their life. And we are we hugely advocate for the best of their care. We really, really do. And I, that's what I respect about my career Yeah, is we don't need to be on the wards seven days a week treating this patient. We see this patient for half an hour. And we will still try and do the best that we can for them. Mm, definitely. And that's that's amazing. Do you feel like the aspects of Islam and being Muslim has also pushed you to always want to do the best in your care as a paramedic? Um, yeah, just because obviously, you know, growing up within a religion, you always have your moral compass kind of comes from that, your upbringing, your religion, your faith. I don't think it's necessarily something I consciously think of when I'm make, making a decision, mm. but that's because it's already rooted in me yeah, and so I don't need yeah. to consciously think about yeah. oh what would Islam want me to yeah, do no, because it happens course. naturally it's, alhamdulillah it happens naturally you because that's why we alhamdulillah have had that from our birth where it's rooted in us to want to do the right thing mm-hmm. to be a good caring kind person in everything we do mm-hmm. even in our job I mean that is the reason why we do this job I mean nobody ever does this job for, for a good pay because believe you me we do not get paid enough <laughs> for some of the things that we deal with on a daily basis whether it's racism whether it's um politics of the job whether it's management we do not get paid enough for it at all however the fact that we do the job it just shows that it's rooted in the fact that we're just trying to do a good thing in our lives yeah um so yeah islam is always there it's always going to be there it's a part of who i am it's underpinning it's unconscious it's there um but, you know, I feel like sometimes I do need to think more about the Islamic side of stuff. So maybe I do need to think um, because some days I have a really bad day and I'm like, this job is so annoying. I hate this job. Um, what's the point of doing this job? Yeah. But actually, from an Islamic perspective, I don't know how I've helped someone. I don't know how I've changed somebody's life. I don't yeah. understand that. And Allah has given me that, 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 that you know, position and Allah has given me the tawfiq to do what I've done and be here for whatever reason and I don't know what's going on in the background and how I am making a difference and getting those good deeds 
inshallah yeah. you know and when we have that mindset that we're doing this for more than just ourselves mm-hmm. it's not having any selfish aspect to it it pushes you to always want to have a positive view despite anything being difficult it makes you ref- like you said we do reflections even in our job but we also we're also told to reflect as muslims on everything we do mm-hmm. so when we have when we look back and reflect on our days at work despite the difficulties if we just tell ourselves like you know we're going to get through this we're going to get through this Allah's helping me through this mm-hmm. by the will of Allah I've been put into a position of help and no matter what difficulties come with that I'm still going to do my absolute best yeah. I'm not going to let anyone <clears throat> deter me away from that mm-hmm. I think that's really like a really important way to think mm-hmm. when we go about our day-to-day lives because we should always be god conscious we should always in everything we do like not literally have to be like okay right let me sit and think about what Islam tells me to do right now having that consciousness of Allah will remind us this is more than just for for ourselves and if we do everything for the sake of Allah too we will get that reward inshallah I always try and educate my patients if there's something they're not doing to help themselves then I'll try and tell them hey why don't you try this instead why don't you say paracetamol doesn't work for you how about you take it regularly every four hours and maybe it might work you know (laughs) it's it's stuff like that knowledge isn't worth having if you're not sharing it as well exactly and this is why i think i'm really trying to be that type of paramedic who's trying to empower my patients because Mm. i know some paramedics they feed into what the patient wants in the sense of if the patient has something that's quite a minor thing the paramedic because it saves them work will sometimes maybe just take them to hospital Mm. and i think people forget this as well that actually it's more work for us to leave you at home than it is for us to take you to hospital so every time a paramedic comes and leaves you at home i'm telling you that they are doing more work than if they were to take you to hospital but do you know why they're doing it it's because they're trying to do the right thing it's because they're trying to take the pressure off hospitals they're trying to take the pressure off nurses and they're trying to make sure that you are safe and that actually Maybe you can try and deal with this at home. They're just trying to empower you. Definitely. And I think that's very, very important for ge- for the general public yeah. to try and understand. Yeah, we're all just trying to empower you and uh, t- telling you, you take care, you take responsibility for your health because it's your body, it's your mental well-being. No one knows your, your own self better than you. So exactly. we're trying to remind you of that. Because it's very easy to forget that, especially when we see these doctors and nurses and paramedics and we think... Oh, these people can deal with this better. They know all about the body. No, but we don't. You know your we body don't. best. You know you best. I go to patients who have chronic conditions sometimes. And, you know, we see COPD and heart failure and things like that a lot. But there are some chronic conditions that people suffer with that we don't see very often. Mm. And I will happily put my hands up and say, hey, can you, t- can you tell me more about your condition? How does it affect you? You know, how does it, how does it impact your daily life? Yeah, tell me more. I want to learn more about you and how you deal with this condition. Right, so let's finish up on what we love about our jobs and some positives. You go first. Afs. <clears throat> okay, so basically... The, Don't speak like that. The positive about my job is getting that paper. <laughs> no, I'm joking. Not enough paper. Not enough paper for the work that I do, bro. But still paper. But it's still paying my paper. Okay. Tell us all them good teams. So I like being out and about. I like the openness of my job. Um, I like meeting some of my patients. <laughs> the ones that are really cute and nice and sweet. Um, I loved getting all the free food and snacks during the COVID stuff. We don't really get, we don't really get any more. Well, we don't really get that much stuff now, but we did before. And it was so nice, but it also made me hella fat. (laughs) Um, I was literally like, everyone's going to get diabetes by the end of the pandemic. 
very rare that I get this. Sometimes it can be fulfilling, the job. (laughs) (laughs) Which is really annoying, right? And I just want to be honest to people who are looking into doing healthcare. The whole fulfilling thing, it doesn't, it's not always there. And this is the sad reality Mm. is you don't always feel fulfilled, fulfilled doing your job. In fact, you very rarely, and this is me personally, I very rarely feel super fulfilled doing my job. But I do it because at the end of the day, you know, everyone's got to pay their bills. Do you know what I've noticed in terms of this whole <clears throat> fulfillment image? And it's a bit of propaganda, dream. in my opinion. Um, I sort of see it as it's because, like, the thing is, when we do, when we're doing our jobs, when something becomes so normal and regular to us, mm-hmm. we stop seeing it as fulfilling too. It's also in our minds. Nah, I'm trust not saying, me, my job's not I'm fulfilling. I'm not saying it's entirely. Oh, trust fulfilling. me, my job is not fulfilling. Honey. I don't. I don't feel that mine is entirely. Oh, fulfilling either i i feel the same i relate with you on that but i also feel like it's because that becomes our norm for some people like they could never deal with being in a hospital environment um with the things that we do especially in terms of emergency cases well, like when i was on AE, sometimes you saw some really traumatic stuff like there were two patients who came and died on the ward mm. like because they were so unwell it was it was quite they were very newborn babies oh and damn. they died i couldn't deal with that and that's that's just it that's just it. And that day, I didn't come home feeling fulfilled. I didn't feel it. I don't know what I felt. But even dealing with that in itself and mm. being a person to deal with that requires a lot of inner strength, requires something. And I truly believe that me being able to deal with those things has come from Allah because there's no way I could have done that before I started this whole nursing thing. And you, it's a yeah, sort of, true. you learn as you go. And it's, it depends on what we attach our fulfillment to. Mm. If we're attaching it on how many patients are getting better, how many patients, blah, 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 like how quickly are things getting done, then obviously we're not. No, I think fulfilled. for me the fulfillment, the reason why I feel unfulfilled is because of the, of the fact that we're not utilized properly. Yeah, it's because of the public, mm. and this sounds really harsh, but it really is because of the general public. <laughs> it makes yeah. me feel unfulfilled because I just feel like people, people genuinely need us, and we're going to people who don't genuinely need us because they because they say trigger words but anyway anyway (laughs) sometimes i feel fulfilled and (laughs) on the most part i like i like most of my colleagues and (laughs) you're being very specific (laughs) and do you know what it does make me happy that i'm doing it sometimes but yeah you know it's all a bit sometimesy with me (laughs) because i'm a bit of a cynic (laughs) so that's true (laughs) but yeah what about you so I feel like I'm quite very optimistic. Yeah, you're so opposite to me. And I'm literally girl. such a cynic. This is it. Me and my sister, we're just very polar opposites. So I'm always very like, right, let's see the positive, right, let's be optimistic. And I'm just like, I just want to die. I'm like in la di da land, right, D- dreamland, trying to like put every- make something, even something bad, I would try to make good of it. So And I will I... make something good into bad. <laughs> okay, anyway... So, what do I enjoy? I do feel fulfillment as well. Not all the time, obviously, but I had, um, when I was on the intensive care unit, and I literally watched a patient get better. Like, they were fully, like, on the brink of potentially dying. Mm. SubhanAllah. And then, two, three, four weeks later, after doing all the cares that we were doing, the ventilation... See, this is the thing with my job, though. I never get to see that. See, I, I only get to see when they get better with me, obviously, yeah. in that short space of time, but I never see them fully recover. So maybe that's why I don't have that. That was the best experience that I have had so far, alhamdulillah, on any of my placements. But in general, what do I enjoy? I enjoy just 
the the way that things can work when you really really ha- when you focus on a patient when you go to those meetings when you discuss what can we do to help this patient it's really nice to see those plans put in place mm-hmm. those plans put into action yeah and then watching that child get better and go home it's just the most we never get to see any of that maybe that's why i'm so depressed <laughs> <laughs> don't get me wrong i mean we lost two children in a and e and that was they were newborn and it was absolutely heartbreaking but the positive side is just also amazing and how people can come together to really help a family and a child um, improve on their health and get better is just amazing. Mm-hmm. And also those, those, there are patients who are like lifelong and just getting to know them, I also find very, very fulfilling. I love, like I know so many patients now who have had lifelong learning disabilities and have global developmental delay and a bunch of other things alongside that. And I now know these patients, I see them around, I recognize their names. I've I've worked with them in so many different environments mm-hmm. in the area that I work in. Mm-hmm. And just, like, the whole team knows all of these children by name. And yeah. I really like that, knowing my patient. I think that's what I love the most about my job, is knowing that those people that I'm working with, those children that I'm helping, those families that I'm working with. I love how that's a positive for you. See, when I know a patient and I know them, <clears throat> I'm just like, you call the ambulance way too many times, don't you? <laughs> Our regular patients that we know, they're not always positive because most of the time they're people, it's a different environment. A lot of the time, if you're calling the ambulance multiple times a day, it's basically because you're not, well, you're basically using the service for no reason. Yeah, the jobs are very unique when you realise that. And just in general, I I love like, for me, it's those moments of positivity and happiness and just great teamwork that really make me love the job that I have chosen. All right, then. Thank you so much for listening today, guys. I hope you've enjoyed. And if you've learned anything, let us know. If there's anything you'd like to know more detail, let us know. If you want us to do more podcasts and topics together, let us know. Thank you so much for listening. Quick thought, I hope that everyone is well. hope that everyone is safe. Amen. Amen. I hope that you are Amen. having a blessed day. Amen. 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 No, Amen. Amen. Stop. Alright, and Asalaamu Alaikum. Peace out. What did you say? Peace out. <laughs> say Asalaamu Alaikum. Peace. Walaikum. Say, I'm talking to you. Asalaamu Alaikum. Say Walaikum Asalaam. Asalaamu Alaikum. Alaikum. Can you say, yeah. say Walaikum Asalaam? A cave. <laughs>